can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Oh, we are all just living in the world of suck. Hello, everyone. Welcome inside Mile High Magic. Glad to have you with us as we recap a 27-16 loss to the Green Bay Packers by the Denver Broncos as the Broncos fall to 0-3. Alongside Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. Uh, Nikki, I have forgotten what it is like to be inside a winning locker room after a football game at this point. It's been so long, so long (laughs) years, Sunday, December 2nd. That was the last time the Broncos won a football game Sunday, December 2nd. That's disturbing. That's really disturbing. Last time we were in a winning locker room was February 7th, 2016 (laughs) in Santa Clara. All the way back to the good old days. Oh boy. (laughs) How the mighty have fallen, man. Um, Let's, uh, let's start by getting into the game at green Bay. Um, I think the overall feel from this team right now is that they are close. However, that is the overall feel that we have felt from this franchise covering them for the last couple of years. You and I were in Green Bay on Sunday afternoon. Uh, your thoughts on on kind of what transpired and uh, and where this team goes from here as they get set to host Jacksonville next week. I think what we're seeing is the margin between good teams that win and decent teams that perpetually lose. Um, and it's a very small margin, and the Broncos have always been on the wrong side of it, at least for the last three years anyway. Um you know, they, they continue to kind of get in their own way. Uh, it was an 11-point game, 27-16, and they had three turnovers, two of which cost them 14 points. You know, you take those away, you know, they they had a real chance to win that game. Um, they hung in there, but a, a five-minute swing right around halftime completely changed the course of this game. Um, I, I think there were some some positives for sure, um, especially with the run game, you know, smaller details with the offense. The fact that they're simply able to bounce back when another team scores, that was one of their biggest issues in years past was, you know, they'd get behind and never be able to come back from that. That's a positive, certainly. But there's still many lingering issues, and the longer it goes on with, Zero sacks, zero takeaways. Now officially an NFL record. Three straight games. No team has done that since sacks became official in 1982. Um, now it's no longer, you know, strange. Now it's now it's concerning. Um, and Vic Fangio addressed a lot of that today. But, you know, I, I think three straight losses, many with the same issues, you know, yeah. there's some panic around Denver. Remember Fangio's line about the red zone and how it wasn't an epidemic just yet. The the sack thing and the no turnover thing, this is now an epidemic, right? When you were on the wrong right. side of history, the first team to go back-to-back-to-back games without a sack and a turnover since sacks became an official statistic all the way back in 1982, this is a problem, especially when you brought in a coach 
who was going to make Von Miller better and who was going to help this defense. And, and that obviously has not happened. I agree with you. I think there are some positives and, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast because there are some things that they give you hope kind of moving forward. And, and there are some positives to take away from the loss, but I don't know what they do here, Nikki. And, and to me, I put a lot of the no sack and no turnovers on on the coaches. I, I don't think they're bringing enough pressure, um, and I think that they are not putting their players in the best position. And I don't know if that's because they don't trust anybody outside of Chris Harris to play man-to-man. I don't know if it's because they don't like who they have on the inside trying to get pressure and they're uncomfortable with those guys. I don't know what the deal is here, but they are not doing enough to try and put pressure on the quarterback. We saw that um, against Green Bay. I mean, for the majority of times, they only brought four guys. There was one time where the Packers had a third and long, and they only brought three guys, dropped nine into coverage, uh, excuse me, eight into coverage, and the Packers ended up completing the third down. And so I, I don't know what it is because we thought this was going to be different, right? We thought we were going to see creative blitzes. We thought we were going to see this defense do things out of the ordinary that were going to create a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And right now they're just not doing it. Yeah, I, I you're talking about that third and 15 where Aaron Rodgers, it was a three-man rush with Chubb, Demarcus Walker, and uh, Vaughn. And they had they rotated like five different guys at nickel corner and Trey Marshall was back there. Um, and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they, they double-teamed Chubb, double-teamed Vaughn. Um, they have one guy on, on Walker and Aaron Rodgers basically had all day to kind of roam yeah. in the pocket and move up. The problem was when, you know, allowing him to move up, which, you know, it's, I realize it's not so easy to contain a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but that's where their lack of interior pressure has become an issue. That's where DeMarcus Walker has got to get to him so he can't mm-hmm. unload a 28-yard pass to a, a guy up the sideline. And that's where the secondary continues to have issues because – I mean, they are giving up so much yardage in these games. So I, I think, honestly, the issue is twofold. You know, they, they can't create that interior pressure with the guys they have. And it doesn't look like they trust their secondary. And this is where the, the Bryce Callahan injury is really causing problems. They they gave this guy a lot of money, and he's he's dealing with that foot injury. It's the same foot that he had surgically repaired in December and his absence has just kind of wreaked havoc on on the secondary. They they tried Isaac Yadam there for the first couple of games, and that did not go so well. <laughs> um, then they put in Devontae Bosby at, at corner, and he fared a bit better. Um, but they don't have the depth where they can rotate these guys in and out and kind of have that that seamless coverage. So when you don't have the interior pressure, you don't have a secondary that you trust – a lot more gets put on the edge rushers. I mean, teams are already game planning for them as is. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're getting doubled like crazy. They're always going to get doubled like crazy. But they, the Broncos don't have an alternative. They're not able to create pressure inside, and they're not able to you know, keep the passing game to minimal because of their secondary. So, and, I, and I know it seems like we're almost beating a dead horse here because it seems like these are the same issues 
But what it comes down to is is the lack of depth on this football team and in the missed drafts. I mean, that's that's what stands out so much. And I know we've harped on that. We don't necessarily need to to dive deep into that. But this is what happens when you miss on draft classes. It affects you down the road. And then obviously with Bryce Callahan being injured, that's having having a role here too. But this is this is what happens when you swing and miss. Uh, on draft classes and the Broncos are this problem isn't going to get any better right there is no no fix for it overnight and and until they can figure out a way to free up Von Miller and free up Bradley Chubb this is going to continue and and this is to steal Vic Fangio's turn it's an epidemic that's not getting any better I I know Vic is getting a lot of heat and, and rightfully so after three disappointing losses but I think anybody, like you said, is kind of fooling themselves that they expected this to be an overnight turnaround just because there are so many issues that have been issues for quite some time. Um, I, I think you do see small improvements, but you know the, these are major things. And you know, Vic Vic was asked today um, if he's going to make significant adjustments given the lack of takeaways, the lack of sacks. Um, their inability to kind of dictate games on their terms. Um, so they're not always trailing, so they can get the most out of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Um, and he basically said, we have to stay the course. Uh, I know guys are getting frustrated, but you know we have to stay the course. This system does work, and he believes they have the right players for it. Um, he also said he... he doesn't want to make wholesale changes just for the sake of making changes. And he has a point there. Um, I think they're going to have to make some adjustments um, just because I I don't think the offense has ever been consistent enough to kind of give them the hand they want defensively. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll we'll see what they do against Jacksonville. I I think, you know, if you lose at home against a Jaguars team, that is – missing their starting quarterback that that's going to be really bad that's going to be really bad especially (laughs) and you know they've got turmoil inside that locker room with the whole Jalen Ramsey situation yes if Jacksonville comes to mile high on Sunday and gets a victory it is going to be really really ugly um I want to talk on on Vic Fangio and, and you and I talked after his press conference today and we both came away from it impressed by his demeanor it's different than what we saw mm-hmm. from Vance Joseph and and that to me is a reason to look at this from a half full perspective um what what he said today I think it just it speaks to a guy who is not in over his head it speaks to a guy who has been in the league for 30 plus years as he said when he was asked you know can you give us an example of adversity that you've been through and he's like a lot right like when you've been in the NFL for 30 plus years things happen it's not all about a roses I thought Dalton Reisner had a really good bite um talking about hey look we're we're 0 and 3 right this is football though this is not cancer. Nobody. There are people dying from cancer in much more serious situations. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about the team saying, well, at least we don't have cancer after just three games. But <laughs> I, I like the perspective there of, hey, look, we're going to be okay. And that is different than what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have felt mm-hmm. from inside that locker room and especially from that head coach position over the last couple of years. From, from Chris Harris, too. Chris Harris was – the most vocal guy about his displeasure with the scheme, 
um, sometimes with the coaching staff, with his teammates, to the losing, everything. Um, and you talk to Chris Harris after these games, and, you know, he he's not – He's he's disappointed they lost, obviously. He wants to be on a winning team. He wants to obviously get his numbers. Um, but he's he said flat out, like, we knew this is going to take time. It's a new system, new staff, uh, many new players, many young players. So we knew this is going to take time, and we're not discouraged. Um, but back to Vic, I thought, you know, like you said, with just his poise up there. Um, and I hope this doesn't sound too homerish because it's I honestly think it's a really good team this is you got to remember this is a locker room that has really no leadership not the kind of leadership it needs um Flacco is new in town so he can't really just step into that role you know ever since they lost Peyton and Demarcus they've had a huge void there they have veteran players but none who are willing to or who have the personality rather to assume that role and for the last couple of years, you know, they had Vance Joseph, another first-year head coach. And after the losses, he he struggled to give, you know, real concrete answers for what was happening. Kind of seemed like he was in over his head, didn't really know what was going on with his own team, let alone the league and his next opponent. Um, and then sometimes he, he just kind of shriveled under the pressure. Whereas is Vic, same guy. Same guy. Like, he's, you know, there's conviction. He believes in his players, believes in his system. Um, He said he's not afraid to make adjustments, but he's been in some bad situations before. I mean, you know, he was with an expansion team in Carolina. I mean, (laughs) like, come on. Like, he's been through it after 40 years of coaching. So um, he, he gives this team that leadership that they've needed that they sorely needed, you know, for the past two years and, you know, that they still need now as they kind of move through this transition period with a lot of young guys and, you know, some lingering veterans from that Super Bowl 50 roster. So I I think it's a good thing. One of the other things that he mentioned when he was asked about the sacks, right? Like we've talked about how the defense has not forced a sack. Meanwhile, the Packers just feasted on on Joe Flacco. Oh, yeah. I mean, totally opposite reactions. You go back to what Aaron Rodgers said after the game, you know, just complimenting his O-line and really throwing some shade at the Broncos about how it was the cleanest his jersey has ever been after a game. And You know who got that jersey? (laughs) Chris Harris Jr. They swapped jerseys afterwards. Chris doesn't have to do any laundry. Right, exactly. Yeah, I got a clean jersey, can just stick it right in the frame. Um, yep. Rogers went home and sipped some scotch and watched some Philly tape and and called it a day after getting the W. On the other side, Joe Flacco probably needed a, a couple, you know, Advils and, and a couple cryo baths with, with boots, hopefully. Uh, six sacks on Flacco. The most, you have this stat, the most that he's been yeah. sacked in his career in 12 yep. years. I mean, yep. that's, that's alarming. And I thought Fangio was interesting today because you look at that number and you're like, oh my gosh, what is the offensive line doing? He right. actually came to the offensive line's defense. Yeah. He said, you know, by no means has O-line been perfect, but you know, they've actually done a pretty decent job. He actually came down harder on the pass catchers said, you know, some sacks are caused by routes not being run cleanly or the defense is jamming up a route. Um, also put, 
you know, the onus on, on Flacco himself mm-hmm. saying, you know, there are times when maybe he could throw it away where he's holding the ball on too long. Um, he didn't completely, you know, say the O-line is not to blame. And sometimes they very clearly have been. I mean, there were, there were a couple there where Elijah Wilkinson just flat out got beat. Um, but, you know, given the circumstances, given they have no depth, given they don't have Jawan James at right tackle, he believes they've, they've done a pretty decent job. So now the question is, can, can they fix this? Um, you know, can this offense become consistent enough to where they don't have these, you know, four holding penalty games or these six sack games. Um, it's, I mean, this is only week three. I mean, can you imagine what they're going to look like by, you know, week 15, week 16 at this rate? And this is not sustainable by any means. Joe Flacco won't make it to week 16 if yeah. he keeps getting no. sacked six times. No. Right? Yes. Like he won't. May not um, make it to the bye. Right, right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Garrett Bowles in the holding penalties. Uh, did Vic Fangio directly correlate the holds to you? Uh, is that what I saw? From- <laughs> <laughs> he said, basically, he said, you know, the media have influence in New York. So uh, holding penalties were down across the league on Sunday. So <laughs> And Garrett Bowles didn't have one. That's, that is worth yeah, noting Garrett as much as we one. harped um, on him. Uh, yeah. He's like, I, you know. I know you guys were all watching to see if he would have one, but you know, which is impressive. He did you not, have, to his credit. You, you know, have more clout than I thought you did. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm surprised when people just know my name. I don't think I have any clout whatsoever. But you know, thanks, Vic. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was a good bounce back from Garrett. You know, to go from that, I think everybody kind of us included. Mm-hmm. You know, we were predicting. You know, as many as two, three holding penalties in this one. So for him to come away with a clean game was significant. Um, He also said Emmanuel Sanders, that holding penalty, which seemed pretty questionable to anybody else who watched it. He said, no, he held him flat out. I'm like, all right, guess he's not challenging that one. Yeah, I I thought that was really interesting, too. Um, that, that Fangio was just like, oh, yeah, no, he held because I don't think anybody else saw it that way. But that might have been one of those where the coach just decides to let it go rather than yeah. say something. Yeah, we made enough mistakes on our own. We can't. Right. Well, yeah. and, that's, and that's the thing is like you look at that and, and yes, that took four points off the board. Broncos had to settle for a field goal. They still had a chance, though, after that holding penalty to get inside the end zone. They had the ball. Mm-hmm. I think it was at first and seven. Um, Mm -hmm. and couldn't convert, ended up having to settle for a field goal. And then you go back, those, the turnovers were so untimely, you know? Mm. I mean, so they, they really did shoot themselves in the foot because they get the ball after their defense forces a three and out it's tied 10, 10. And, and I'm thinking, okay, look, if they can get some sort of drive here, even if they don't get points, if they just eat up the clock for the rest of the first half, they're going to get the ball coming out of halftime. If they get points, Mm -hmm. heck yeah, you take it, you go up three, you go up seven at the break. You're feeling really good. And then what happens? Joe Flacco turns the ball over Mm -hmm. green Bay scores two plays later, seven point swing Mm -hmm. there. Then you're like, okay, well, at least we get the ball coming out at halftime. Right. And then what happens? You convert on a third down. Noah Fant gets the yardage, but he can't hold on to the football. And then Green Bay turns that into points as well. So, I mean, that was such a huge swing right there to where you look at it and, okay, there wasn't really – I mean, I guess you got to credit Green Bay for making plays, 
But that was more the Broncos inflicting the wounds on themselves, which is a negative. And you can look at it from the glass half full perspective of, well, if they didn't do that, then they're in the game. And so that's something good that you can take away from. Right, right. The location of those turnovers were just brutal. I mean, in their own territory, I mean, give them a freebie at their own five-yard line on that strip sack. And Fant, I mean, he's had some pretty critical mistakes in these first three games. He's young. Most rookie receivers and tight ends kind of struggle in year one. Um, But these mistakes have been pretty costly. So I I know the coaches are going to try to get that corrected if they see a fundamental issue there, Um, like holding on to the ball. Um, Yeah, they just... They get in their own way. Yeah. And this has been the story for three years now, right? Yeah. How many times yeah. have we heard in the locker room post-game, we shot ourselves in the foot? Like, you know, we did this to ourselves. We beat ourselves. That has been the same story for three years. The circumstances have changed. The players have changed. The coaches have changed. But they still make mistakes that hurt themselves. And until they can correct that, I don't think their record ever will. One of the other positives to take away was something that we had talked about extensively going into that game, and that was the running game. Um, yep. And I thought the Broncos, they did kind of what we expected them to do in that regard. Philip Lindsay with one and a half touchdowns, if you will, give the other half to Dalton Reisner, yeah. picking him up and, and doing some pig <laughs> wrestling, as he said, after the game and throwing him across the goal line. Um, but I, I thought the Broncos running game gave us a glimmer of hope, right? Yeah. Like, okay, this is what we can do if we just don't shoot ourselves in the foot because they got a, a season high in rushing yards. Uh, what did you have? 130 yards from scrimmage and two TDs for Phil. I mean, that's, yep. that's something that you can build off of moving forward. Absolutely. And and I think that's where you do have to credit the line because if they really were trash, I don't think those holes wouldn't be there. Um, Elijah Wilkinson, despite, you know, the sacks late in the game uh, on that first touchdown by Philip Lindsay, he was the one that came up with a huge block to really create that hole. Um, this is where I, I think Philip Lindsay is just such a unique player though. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be Royce Freeman going into this game, just with his, his strength, his power, his durability. Um, he ended up with actually a lot of negative runs. I think they had 10 negative plays in this game, all told. Um, and that's not to say any of it was it was his fault per se. I have to go back and watch each individual one. But when you watch Philip Lindsay, he is able to not just see the beginnings of a hole being made, but move so quickly mm-hmm into it and then just take off. Um, you can't teach that kind of thing. And his lateral quickness is just insane. And then, you know, for a guy his size, just to, you know, be able to make guys miss on defense and drag defenders with them, take hits that, you know, crazy. Like that one by Darnell Savage. Yeah. I think it was a 36-yard completion where he just – he flipped in the air. He got hit so hard in the knees, and he just bounced back up like nothing ever happened. That's Philip Lindsay, and I think that's why he's so valuable to this team, and he would be to any team, um, just with his ability, his pure natural ability as as a runner. So um, this was a huge game for him. You know what I saw from Royce? I thought he was a little tentative. And, and remember, he left early mm-hmm. in the game um, with what the team called a, a shoulder injury. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I thought when he came back, 
he was a little tentative. And I that wasn't the type of runner that I think we were used to seeing. And and he looked a little slow to hit holes. Um, and and I, almost like he was trying to avoid contact. And so I don't know if the shoulder played a factor in that. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I thought he was going to have a better outing than Phil did. And it ended up being Phil who, who had the better outing. And a lot of his stuff came up the middle too. Um, and, yeah. and finding those holes. So I was, I'm with you. I was a little surprised, um, at Royce not having a bigger game than, than what he had. Yeah, absolutely. But to get that run game going there, that was huge for this offense. Um, they needed to reestablish that, um, and even though it didn't result in a win, I think that was good to show them they do still have it in the run game, especially for Phillip. I mean, coming off a significant wrist injury, I know he didn't really doubt himself. I know there are other people who kind of doubted if he could play at a similar level to what he did as a rookie or if it was just a fluke, and the kids still got it. So Well, and it was nice to see somebody else – get in the end zone other than Emmanuel Sanders. And that's not right. a knock on Emmanuel, but if this offense yeah. is going to be productive, they need somebody other than just one person to get in the end zone. So exactly. that was good to see you get two rushing touchdowns on the ground and, and maybe moving forward. I know I feel like we've said this before, but maybe moving forward, you start to see that offense progress a little bit. Hopefully they can get over the magic number of 17. I mean, I, they've been stuck on 17 or 16 or 14. They haven't gotten over 17 in what feels like forever. Um, and so hopefully they can get over that uh, on the defensive side. And we kind of touched on it a little earlier with Isaac Yadam. Uh, I thought Devonte Bosby uh, had a, had a decent game and, yeah. and Vic was really interested, uh, interesting in talking about him uh, on Monday said, yeah, there were some, some opportunities where the Packers could have gone at him. And luckily for us, they didn't, but overall right. he thought he had a really good game, especially given the circumstances. Um, he, he did kind of hint that he was concerned about some of the missed opportunities that the Packers had because now those are on film and now other teams will see him and maybe start to target Bosby a little bit. But I thought he came up with some really, really big plays uh, for that Broncos secondary and some opportunities where the Packers had an opportunity to convert on first da- on third down and, and Bosby prevented that and got his defense off the field. Yeah, no, he came up with those two big pass breakups. Um, I think it was a... Third and oh gosh, I'm blanking on it. Um, but one one was in you know almost in the red zone, um, and another he came up with this huge hit um, that literally knocked the ball out of the guy's hand. So mm-hmm. I really capitalized on his opportunity. I, I thought it was interesting that um, after the game, Vic actually said, you know, the plan all along was to give him more time. Um, and again, they, they rotated a bunch of guys at nickel corner, but, you know, Isaac Yadam's time at outside corner was short lived. And, you know, they left Bosby in because he was playing well. Per- he wasn't playing perfect. Um, he's got to clean up some things. Um, but he was he was a, a significant improvement over what they've seen at that position in the first two games. And they're going to need him to play well moving forward, obviously, right? Like, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how they kind of split the reps. What happens with Bryce Callahan? I, I, I mean, you feel like it still this doesn't sound just like going to linger uh, on, I mean, right? I mean, when we ask about Andy Janovich, yeah, there's a chance he could play. We ask about Bryce Callahan, no, no update there. So it's a problem. Um, you know, they got a lot of money 
you know, spread among injured players. They have a lot of dead money. Um, so this is where their depth really hurts them. Yeah, and I think they're going to need Bosby to continue playing well, and it'll be interesting to see how they split the reps with him and Yadam. Um, let's go back to the world of suck, shall we? And I love the let's line. Let's do it. I loved the line in your article uh, today on The Athletic that the world of suck can be a lonely place, leaving its inhabitants mired in disappointment and frustration without a clear end in sight. So where where does this end, Nikki? Because it doesn't seem as if there is, I mean, you can't point to the Jags game and be like, oh, they're going to they're gonna go out there and kill them, yeah. you know? So where yeah. does this end? That's a good question. <laughs> if it doesn't end this weekend against Jacksonville at Mile High, there's going to be huge problems. There's going to be panic all around. There is kind of already after three losses with many of the same issues. Um I don't know where it ends, to be honest. And that's the problem. They really are kind of in this phase where you just don't know how are they going to snap out of it? You know, they are they going to actually play a fully clean game where they don't hurt themselves? Are they going to be able to get ahead and, you know, get the sacks? I think, you know, once they get that first sack, you know, there will be a lot of relief (laughs) from fans and probably the players themselves. Um, but I, I think honestly, more than the sacks, they got to get a takeaway yeah. and that's, that's a big problem, uh, especially if you're going to turn the ball over three times, that's a pretty bad differential to try to win a game. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's- not a great answer, <laughs> but it's kind of depressing when you think about it, right? Well, and it's funny that you mentioned there will be a lot of relief in the press box yesterday at Lambeau Field when Adam Gotsis almost got to Aaron Rodgers that first time. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, you know? like, yeah, like even though we're not fans, you were sitting there like, oh, that's gonna be the oh no, it's not, and and it kind of felt like that as they got a little, um, you know, they had maybe one or two opportunities to try and get to him, um, but yeah, I think there will be a, a lot of relief there, and I'm I'm with you, I'm not ready to push the panic button just yet and say, Hey, we got to break this thing down and, and rebuild. And and we know that John Elway does not consider anything a rebuild, right? I don't think that, that the Broncos he doesn't use the ready. R word. Yes. Pat yes. Bolin never used the R word, but you know, in many ways they have begun to rebuild by bringing in the staff, by bringing in Joe Flacco. They have a lot of young guys. Um, I, I also think, you know, this may be a year where they are more active on the trade deadline um, coming up. What is it? The end of October, usually the end of October, early November. Um, they have a lot of veterans on expiring deals. They have the entire 2016 class coming up. Um, maybe this is when they, they try to, you know, get some value in return. If these guys do have value. I mean, I know there's, you know, all, all this talk, oh, we should trade Von Miller. No, he's he's the best pass rusher on the league. Like <laughs> not in the league, maybe Aaron Donald gets that one, but he's one of he's really freaking good. Right. Um would not give him up so easily. Um yes, it would help their cap space, but I yeah, let's pump the brakes on that one. One I do think is maybe a little interesting if they do, you know, continue to have these problems, if they do really look at, you know, 
rebuilding uh, or, or thinking toward the future anyway is, is Emmanuel Sanders. Um, he's he's made it pretty clear in the locker room post game that he's frustrated. Um, he had uh, only 10 yards, four targets, two catches. I think that's the fewest yards he's ever had as a Bronco um, when he's played a complete game and hasn't come out for injury or whatnot. Fewest yards and you know, this receivers, they always want the ball. They want their numbers. Um, and he's, you know, after, you know, wide receiver heaven with Peyton Manning, it's mm-hmm. kind of become wide receiver hell for him um, with all these different quarterbacks and new offenses and, you know, just their general struggles. So I, I wonder if it would almost make sense for, for both sides to kind of see what, they could get for him because he's playing quite well, especially considering he came off surgeries to both his ankle and Achilles in the offseason. So, you know, maybe he's a guy they they look at or at least test the market for. Um, but I, I think they're going to have to make some changes if the losing continues, no doubt. And Emmanuel loves his numbers, right? Like he oh, yes. he knew exactly right after the game how many times he'd been targeted, which was mm-hmm. four, which I'm looking four. at the targets. That was one, two, three. There were three other guys that had more targets than Emmanuel Sanders yesterday, uh, including Royce Freeman. Two catches and 10 yards, as you mentioned. Emmanuel read that mm-hmm. off to us as we were interviewing him after the game. So that tells me that he's a little bit unhappy with with his usage Um, And, of course, he's coming off a game where he had really good usage and they targeted him early and often. And so um, I don't – I'm not at the point where the Broncos need to look into that. But if this continues and if if they go 0-4 or if they beat the Jaguars and then lose to the Chargers and you're sitting there at 1-4 and and it gets to a point where it's time to admit, okay, we're not doing anything this year. Right, like the playoffs are are really out of the question. Not necessarily right now at zero and three, but they're they're a long shot at this point. And so, if this continues, then why why keep doing this? You know, especially right. with a guy like Emmanuel, maybe even a Chris Harris, um, you know, who's on a one year deal. And so, I, I think the Broncos owe it to themselves at that point to be realistic with how this season is going to go the rest of the year and see if they can get pieces back. Um, yeah. With Chris, yeah. I, I feel like if you try to deal Chris, that's an admission that the season's all all but over because yes. you don't have enough depth to compensate for that this year. You don't. Like, you barely have enough depth at the secondary to compensate for Bryce Callahan and not well. Um, that would be my one reason for keeping Chris. Um but yeah, I mean, y- you never know. I feel like anybody is fair game once you get into this point. And I think they should be, you know, yeah. I mean, if that's, if, if they're going to put that on the field, then, then I absolutely think that they should be. Yep. Absolutely. Well, with that, we'll get into more pre Jacksonville stuff later this week um it's a huge game for the broncos no doubt i never thought i'd say that really that <laughs> well and, and you're right though who would have thought that jacksonville in week four was going to be when the broncos were looking for their first yeah. win and that could be the game that really kind of 
swings the balance of the 2019 season. That's not yeah. a good place for the Broncos to be. What if Gardner Minshew tears up the Broncos defense? Oh, wow. Crazier things have happened. Oh, goodness. Well, we'll go into that more. <laughs> uh, we'll go into that more later this week. Uh, in the meantime, you can listen to our previous podcast. Go to theathletic.com slash milehighmagic. Um, and, and be sure to check out other stuff on The Athletic, uh, Wire to Wire. We have every Monday Michael Beller and Br- Brandon Funston. They take a deep dive into the waiver wire. It was a really great episode that just came out regarding Saquon Barkley, who's dealing with an ankle injury and how that shapes up for week four, especially after Daniel Jones's huge game in New York this weekend. So be sure to check out Wire to Wire. And until then, we'll talk to you guys later this week. <laughs>